With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Welcome back, everybody, to the Tennis.com podcast. Ed McGrogan, Steve Tigner, catching up after uh, Monte Carlo, you know, where the the semifinal was, you know, was really more important than the final in many ways with Djokovic um, beating Rafael Nadal 6-3, 6-3. Djokovic goes on to win the Monte Carlo Masters over Thomas Burdich in three sets, three rain-delayed sets. That puts Djokovic to uh, 30-2 and two on the season. He has won the Australian Open and three and the first three Masters events of the year. That was a thing I forgot when comparing this to 2011. Um, you know, Djokovic didn't play actually Monte Carlo that year, so that this is actually the first year time he's he or anybody has won the first three Masters events. And I think I'll maybe leave it to you because those are a lot of facts, Steve, and a lot of the, lots to talk about of how it got to this point and where, you know, where we see things going from here. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of let you start, and we can trade, uh, you know, trade rally balls in this match. Yeah, Djokovic, you know, he's about where he back where he was in 2011. Really, he's you know kind of on his own. At the top, he's won all the significant tournaments. Um, He's he beaten he's beaten Federer on hard courts. He's beaten Rafa on clay. Um, you know he's thirty and two, and I think you know even just as impressive is the way he's won all of the finals in those four tournaments in at the Australian Open, Indian Wells, Miami, and Monte Carlo. He hasn't been perfect in any of them. He's sort of had a a little lapse at a certain point, and all of them looked a little vulnerable. But then. He's really won the final set running away. You know, he he um it, it's almost it's almost as if that's a better I would say that's a better way mentally to be right now than to have been totally dominant in that anytime he gets in trouble, you would think right now he's you know, he has the confidence to know that he can bounce back from that. So yeah, so, that that, that is that is in contrast with 2011, where you did get the sense that he was playing absolutely flawless at almost any match he won. And I think yeah, the other good positive difference for for Djokovic this time is he doesn't have a record streak going. That became a big deal on its on its own in 2011 when he got up into the 40s and challenged John McEnroe's streak to start the year. He won't do that this year. So it's almost as if it's almost like a situation where a team in the NFL has lost a game instead of going to the Super Bowl undefeated. It's taken it, – it, I think that will help him, you know, take a little pressure off, keep people from talking about the streak as much as they, as much as they did in 2011. So maybe that's a little less weight 
he doesn't need anything else to worry about trying to you know trying to win his first Roland Garros. Yeah, there will be pl- enough pressure put on that you know obvious omission yeah, as it stands, of course. But that's all you know. Those are all very good, I think, observations about where we see Djokovic at at this point. I think the balance is just you know from so many perspectives, it's just, it's just perfectly in sync of where he's playing, and I think the the sort of the the frame of mind that he's in too. Um, you know, from a, from a purely tactical standpoint, you know, what did you see in this match that either Djokovic did or Nadal didn't do that ultimately led to the ultimately led to the uh, straight set result? I think Djokovic was just this was one where just his solid high level of play was enough was you know really just too much for Rafa was still up and down. You know, he, you know Nadal had his moments right around the middle of each set when he looked like he could, you know, he could get it going. He could take control. You hit some, hit some big forehands, um, got a few fist pumps in, won a few big points, long points. But then he couldn't keep it up um, in part because, you know, he's still not at his best. And also because Djokovic just his sort of normal game, what you need, you know, what Rafa seems to need to do to beat that right now, even on clay, is play at a you know at his best and and continue and sustain it. And he wasn't ready to do that this time. I feel like Djokovic was good at good in this tournament with returns, deep returns, and really forcing that that pattern that that helps him against Nadal. That backhand cross court, backhand down the lines. You know he had their rivalry sort of goes back and forth as to who can control those patterns, who can who can um, force those rallies into the one pattern that works for him and Djokovic. Djokovic's natural game, which he played in that match, just again works so well against Nadal. Right. It, it, it's you know the comparisons have been made before, but it, it's the 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 thinking that you know Nadal's natural game works so well against Federer, and I think you know we can say the same thing for Djokovic to Nadal here. Um, you know, to me, the six three six three score, I, I I thought that actually sort of belies the really the quality of the points uh, in the match overall. Um, you know, it's tough to escape the fact that, you know, with that score and when you consider that Nadal was actually up 2-0 at one point, you know, that it makes it, 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 you come to the conclusion that Djokovic ended up winning 12 of the last 16 games and really found a way to win pretty much all of the most critical points in that match. But I, you know, this, this was a, I thought overall, though, if in, if we're just looking at this in terms of a um, an assessment of of the match itself, I thought it was actually one of their you know a, a, one of their good one, one one of the ones that I really enjoyed between the two. I wonder if if that's in any respect because I thought the the speed of play sort of was not bogged down at all. Uh, it, it wasn't one of these um, four hour four and a half hour bloodbaths. I just I just sort of and and the, and I say that because now I think I even have a little not that we needed to get really any more invested in a you know a possible more showdowns between these two on clay but I do think that when we consider that as you say Nadal is certainly not at his peak form yet and you know momentum he should only really be going up from here assuming you know his health remains I think looking forward to the you know the next I think that I think this will be the 44th chapter of of these two you know it should it should pay off again uh, down the road. 
Yeah, their two out of three set matches are good. You know, they're they can get the three out of fives can get long. Obviously, the Australian Open they can get long and and you know maybe just almost like you said bogged down and almost too physical in a way. And th- two out of three gives them a you know they can really go at it from the beginning. They played some great two out of three set matches. Obviously, over the years, thinking of the one the other semifinal from 2013 in Montreal sticks out. Yes. Yep. Um, this one wasn't like that, but but there were. There were definitely great, great points involved. I just think felt like the difference was this time Djokovic didn't even, didn't really feel like he needed to play, ex, you know, especially extra, do anything extra special. He was the one who was making Nadal do something special to win a point, and and you start to think, usually you think, well, nobody can beat Nadal in three out of five on clay, and and we can't really say that Djokovic can yet. But if this sort of match continues you almost look at how's how's Djokovic going to lose in three out of five on clay if he's the guy who's who's forcing somebody to to play so well just to win just to keep the match close did did you think that that this was an important win for Djokovic even though this is a marathon and not a sprint along the clay season and as we've heard from Nadal himself you know he was very I think he took away, even from a loss, he was very positive about the week overall. And I think, I don't know if expectations were any less, but it it didn't, you know, it's not like Nadal has never lost to Djokovic on clay before or lost in Monte Carlo before. I think overall he sort of was, and this was really, I think, the theme of your piece today on on the two is that, Really, both of them are kind of in. I think looking at things in a, in a pretty positive light after you know even after a, a straight set match like this. Yeah, I think there was pressure on Djokovic to win this. He's number one now. You know, he's distanced in general from from the doll. And if he'd lost to him here instantly, you know, you people and maybe even he goes back in his mind and thinks, I just can't beat this guy. At the you know, here we go again with with another clay season where I can't get by this guy at the French, you know, coming up, you know, instantly Rafa, people go back to thinking and that Rafa, well, he's, he's going to be unbeatable at the French open again, but that's it, you know, so that didn't happen. So I think there was that, that was a good sign for Djokovic. He could take that kind of pressure and, and handle it well. But I thought, I think Nadal, like I said, is in a position that he likes. He's, he's behind Djokovic, but he, you know he's always thrived on being the guy who's chasing rather than the guy who's number one. You know he's he's um, he's in that position that he's been in a couple of times, 2010, 2013, when when he was sort of building up to some, you know to the to the Grand Slam season and then had played his best during that. I don't I don't see him. He finished those years number one. I don't see that happening again. But but it seems like to me that he's he's focusing on the French Open this year. Came, you know came into this tournament seeming to be you know, to be sort of thinking in the long term, thinking about the French Open rather than this tournament itself. And I think he he's further behind Djokovic than he would want to be, or maybe that he's been in the past. But but you know, you, you just can't go against him. It's just so hard to go against him with the history that he has at the French Open. Even just just passing Djokovic at the last minute there, even even when Djokovic has started the clay season ahead, the history says that Rafa will 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 catch up to him. 
Yeah, and, and you know what you're saying about Rafa being the hunter, not the hunted. This guy, he made his really his entire start and most and so much of his career is being number two to Roger Federer. He was number two for for years running actually, and and then you know really has just grown from there. Um, you know, for Rafa, he plays this week in Barcelona. Um, you know, is this the field? Of course, is not going to be a Masters level quality. It's a it's a pretty, you know, it's a good field. It, it, this one generally is. It gets a, certainly a lot of clay court, really, you know, good dirt baller players here. But overall for Rafa, you know, in the immediate future here, while Djokovic, you know, we won't see him again till the next Masters event in Madrid. But for Rafa, you know, do you see that this, that maybe this week does take on a little more importance in that, you know, we often hear of him, you know, talking about kind of his process now of, you know, going from one tournament to the next and looking to make those incremental improvements. But, you know, you would have to think that there probably is some pressure. If there if there was more pressure on Djokovic this past week, you know, in an event that Rafa's also owned but is certainly expected to win, you, you would think that maybe this might be seen as a little more important and critical of the here and now. Yeah, Barcelona in the past has been sort of the least celebrated of his – of his clay tournaments. He's won it eight times, but you really don't even hear about that. You hear about the French Open and Monte Carlo. Barcelona just seems like he plays it because it's it's near his hometown and he wants to play it. It's not even a it's not a mandatory event. It's sort of the one non-mandatory event he plays before the US Open. Uh, but this year, yeah, I think it's a bigger deal. He A, he's ranked number four in the world now and, and the number five player, Kane Shikori is um on the other side of the draw so he wants to he wants to be the fourth seed at the French Open rather than the fifth Nadal also would, could start against Nicolas Almagro who beat him here last year and then could play Fognini who has beaten him on clay so there's you know there's challenges there this if he is if he went out early here then you start you know you you kind of forget about Monte Carlo and and the progress and you think well you start to think well he's he just maybe he's not going to get it together this time. It's would not be a good way for him to go to the bigger events in Madrid and in Rome. So I, I feel like he needs to at least make the final of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, speaking of the finalists, let's let's give some due or some some words to to Burdich here. He does take Djokovic to three sets in in this final, um, and you know comes from four love down in the third to really, you know, make the make it certainly respectable on the scoreboard too. Um, you know, with Burdich, it is it is in one way the same sort of old story that we that we've seen from him about really, you know, for a guy with his with his talent, you know, just the you always wonder where the the titles have been and you know irrespective of kind of the era that he's in. I mean, he's, he has shown the ability to beat these guys, you know, certainly not on a back-to-back or consistent basis. Um, but, you know, overall, he is, he is having a, a, you know, a pretty solid year that's, that shouldn't be forgotten. But, you know, any sort of takeaways from, um, from Burdich on this one, you know, getting to this final, um, you know, in Monte Carlo? Yeah, I guess you can, in the end, he ends up in the same place we feel like he's been before. Um, close, but he got to a third set against Djokovic and his forehand just disappeared, really. Um, he sort of felt like he got as far as he 
believed he could get and then he didn't get any further. His goal is to this year, as he said, is to win one of these masters, win one of these bigger events, if not a slam with, with his new coach and to show that kind of progress. But he got closer. Um, Djokovic definitely talked Burdich's game up, said how tough he made, he made the, uh, the final and how he deserves to win one of these. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't know where, whether you can say anything has shifted for Burdich after this, after this tournament and beat Mont Bonfils in the semis with not a huge win for him. Um, it was kind you know, of a, it was kind of a decimated other side of the draw for sure. Yeah. So yeah. winning a set from Djokovic is is definitely something there. Um, but it's hard to see him hard to see him, you know, this as an advance in in mm -hmm. coming for you know going forward. Yeah, and not too many people have beaten a set, beating Djokovic in a set this year. So that is something to hang your hat on, as you as you might say there. So, um, yeah, Barcelona this week, a uh, couple other events as well, Bucharest, Stuttgart, and WTA side. We'll have a little preview of all of those um, shortly on the website, and uh, be back throughout the week uh, with coverage of all the events as usual. And we'll be back here on the podcast next week with Steve and I recapping um, the latest of the clay court season looking ahead as we approach Roland Garros. Thanks for listening once again. This is the Tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.